This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. What's up, people? It's me, Ramon. Welcome to the podcast that will entertain, educate, and inform you. Grab a ball and get ready for this serving of cornbread and caviar. What's up, people? It's me, King Ramon. I'm your host, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of Cornbread and Caviar, the podcast that will entertain, educate, and inform you. Thank you for joining us today for what promises to be a most stimulating conversation. Follow us on Instagram. Our handle is Eat Cornbread and Caviar, and feel free to email us anytime at eatcornbreadandcaviar at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Today, I am joined by the hardest-working co-host, the phenomenal, never-to-be-underestimated curator of passions and sentiments, student of love, life, and Hennessy, the talented pretty boy himself. Hello, everyone. It's James Brandon. What's up? Hi, Jim. Hi, King Ramon. How are you? I'm doing well. I'd be better if you um, just don't call me Jim and, you know, we can proceed as normal. I am King Ramon. <laughs> therefore, I can call you whatever the hell no. I want to call you. If I call you King Ramon, you can't call me Jim. I am so much the king. you know how much it pains me to call you King Ramon. I am so the king that I can command the pandemic to go away. However, <laughs> I am a king such that I think that natural order should happen. Therefore, I have not no. commanded the pandemic away. No, sweetie. I control uh, all the little germs that we know as COVID-19. No, sweetie. It's not. That's how powerful I am. Well, if you control them, why have you had multiple COVID tests? Because if you, could, if you control them, then you would actually control them if they were going into your body as well so why would you get tests if you knew that they weren't in your body okay first of all you don't question the king secondly because as a leader as a leader as a leader of the earth (laughs) the earth's leader king ramon i am i want to experience what it's like to be a common person like yourself so as you being with me being the king and you being a common lay person and me being me i just decided to let things happen as they do Please don't question my. I will call time. you King Julian. Ha! <laughs> wow. Like the, the little from gay Madagascar, lemur or whatever yes. he is. The gay lemur from Madagascar. <sighs> the delusional. Wow. There's something <laughs> wrong with you, and I unfriend you. That's it. You can never. You're unfriended. I'm. And you're, you're going to be banished from Earth soon. I'm, I'm going to send your ass in a pod. Into the space, and you'll just float there where until you figure out where you land. Or it actually whatever. sounds like a better time than being here. <laughs> <laughs> At least you'll die with some fun. Shit. <laughs> you'll starve in several days. You'll be really skinny, and you'll be out into the endless cold and endless abyss that's known as outer space. Sounds mm. like planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been away for a couple of weeks. Um, I want to say we decided, but it was really me. Yeah. I don't want to give credit to for this. I needed a break. He, um, he told me not to tell you guys, but the reason we were away was because he was having vaginal rejuvenation. <laughs> the kegels just weren't working anymore. And uh, You've been run through that many times. It just doesn't hold itself anymore. Wow. Thank you, Jim, for 
express explaining this to everybody who will be listening that I had a vaginal rejuvenation. So yes, I had a vaginal rejuvenation because I just needed a break. Um, my creative box was a little overexhausted. Um, <laughs> the box was exhausted. <laughs> my box was exhausted. Hence, it needed rejuvenating. Um, you know, I was just needed a little break in the summertime. So it took a little break. Still dedicated to your listening experience and all that good stuff. But sometimes a break is needed. As you know, we have had a little bit of a situational change here at Cornbread and Caviar. We are looking for a new co-host. Um, but at the same time, sometimes when things happen like that, if shifts occur, it can take a toll on you, but it will not stop the show. It might slow it down just a little bit. It slowed us down. We needed a break from all of everything. Took the break. Now I'm good. I'm okay. So we're back yes. and we will continue to be back, but we will take breaks from periodically because quite frankly, to do this show, it does take a lot of energy and effort, which we don't mind doing. I'll speak for myself. I don't mind doing it. But sometimes a break is necessary. Sometimes I need to be able to sit down and do nothing because I do have my hands on quite a bit of things and not enough of the things that I need to have my hands in that will actually make me financially independent. So yes. sometimes a break is still yes, very is. necessary. I got shit to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How's the candle business? You know, we're doing, we're doing well. Things are going well. We're in the testing phase, testing phase still. So, mm-hmm. you know, just figuring stuff out. Not rushing because I want to be able to offer quality products when you give me your money. Um, I don't want refunds. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting a refund. <laughs> no. So, um, yes, I am doing my research and doing my testing. And although there's lots of information out there that I can use, that is other people's experiences um, mm-hmm. with making candles. So I am taking my time. Um, I'm doing my own testing to figure out what works best for me yeah. so that I can offer um, quality products. Love that. That's yeah. fantastic. I can't wait to buy and support. Thank we you. also need to go ahead and work on getting you trademarked, right? Yes. Copywritten, whatever, if you have any written literature, but definitely trademarking uh, for your brand. Uh, our uh, most recently departed from the show co-host seemed to know a lot about the trademarking thing in her last couple of weeks here with us. So maybe you can reach out to her and maybe she can give you some information about trademarking because she's an expert at it suddenly. So now shout outs. Let's move on to the shout outs. Oh goodness. You go first. I will go first. Okay. I want to shout out. Oh, are you, are you, are you trying to find something to shout out? Yeah. Because you surely had, grabbed your phone. I had one on top of oh mine. Oh, my God. Look at you. you okay. I'm just stalling because I didn't figure out. What <laughs> oh, you don't have one either? <laughs> no. I never. I, I always like to do it on the spot Dang. because it's, it's a little bit more fun. But I can find. I'm going to think of one in a second. It's just going to come to you. I'm going to talk through it until something pops into my mind. Um, Let's see. Oh, I know what I want to shout out. This is what I want to shout out. I want to shout out Um, Bell Calise, a.k.a. Cardi B. Here we go. And Megan the Stallion on their new hit, Wet Ass Pussy. I thoroughly enjoy it. And I love the fact that it has so many people up in a tizzy and in their feelings for absolutely no reason. Is that where, is that where people put WAP online? Yes, it stands for Wet Ass Pussy. So how do you use that contextually? So if I see something I like, I just put WAP with my, in my caption of the post or what? 
I think people are using, I've seen some people use it in their posts, simply WAP. I think they're alluding to the fact that they have wet nether regions. Oh. However, um, you know, that can be contested. We don't know. We'd have to find I out for ourselves. We could do a moist, moistness a test. A moisture meter. A moisture meter. Puss moisture. We can do that right in the studio. So, I don't know. I mean, we're not Howard this Stern, is, but this isn't our this isn't our studio, so we probably shouldn't <laughs> be conducting that in here. We could put plastic um, everywhere. So that's what that stands for. But then people have been using it in other ways to bring attention to to um, political things. Now, don't ask me about what because I don't remember. Are they saying that Kamala has a wet ass pussy? No, they're like changing wet ass pussy to something else with WAP. So like, oh. No, white ass politics yeah something like that so people are using it like that now because up until the song came out we didn't know what WAP stood for she just said that her song title was WAP so we had to wait for a week to come out for it to come out and then once the video and the song came out we were like oh this is what it stands for and people have been using it in other ways since however I don't understand why everyone is so mad about it um, especially is in it, isn't it? Kylie Jenner is in it and that's still not a reason to be mad that's what I've heard mostly about is that people are pissed off that she's walking through I think she looks fantastic she looks fucking amazing I, I mean though she did have some surgery and she did she but, looks so they're all so, so, with the exception of Megan both of those other girls have had yeah enhancements surgically so yeah yeah, and Kylie looks great. And she was, people are like, why is she in the video? I don't understand why she's in the video. She was asked. That's <laughs> she, why she's in the She video. was called upon to be in the video, and she agreed to be in the video. Because although she's not the billionaire we thought she was, she's damn near close to it all on her own without her sister. So Absolutely. The fact is, she was asked to be in so, and it. And it seems like a girl power thing. I'm just not sure I understand. Is it because she's not an uh, African-descended brown person? I believe that's why people were upset is because she's not a brown person, but um, she was asked to be in the video and she said yes. If I was asked to be in Cardi B and Megan Stallion's music video, I would say yes. And I think, I, you know, as much as I hate to say this, I, I kind of hate to say it and I kind of don't. I'm not going to... I like the Kardashians. Oh, I live for the, the Kardashians. Oh my God. If I had a sex tape with a celebrity and it was released, of course I would capitalize off of that and make my motherfucking money. They're not... Now, every single one of them is like literally a multi They're not doing anything different than what anyone else would do. Correct. Everyone. You cannot tell me that if you had a sex tape with a celebrity that leaked, you would not work your way into the spotlight if it was getting you interviews and deals and money. Money. You would and not turn Chris that down. Chris is fucking amazing. I wish you would just take me on as a client. Absolutely. For free. Tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Just tell me what to do. I got to lose a couple of pounds in my waist for ya. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. And you can make money from me once you start making me some money. Fuck it. I'll give you a higher percentage of what I'm making for X amount of years. Yes. So, so, yeah, I just want to shout them out because I, I don't understand it. And I really wish it was weird to see a lot of brown, brown women um, saying that they did not like the song, which is fine. It's fine to not like the song. However, there are reasons for not liking the song. I grew up with the, with the same girls that were online bashing the song. We used to be at parties rapping along to look back at me by Trina. I got an ass so big like the sun. Hope you got a mile worth of dick. I want to run. Slap it in my face. Shove it down my throat. 
uh, what was different about that Nothing. than talking about I got a wet ass pussy? And yes, it is women's empowerment because men go on talk about their record all along talking about dick and they fucking and they, bitches. And I'm a they even do video. What was that one rapper that put a video of him out fucking a girl from behind? Um, I forgot. Not King, um, it wasn't Killer Mike. It was some rapper. He had a sex tape come out or whatever. Anyway, Blueface. I don't know this man. You know, I don't know these people. I'm just trying yeah. to get a little bit into this yeah. pop culture. I'm working on it. But it's that the men do have a, a All the time. prominent place. Slob on my knob. The yeah. whisper song by the Yin Yang Twins. Yes, we have exactly. We've been. I was singing that. Sh- my neck, my back, lick my, my pussy, pussy and, and my, my crack. crack. I learned that song in the third. Great. Because you can identify with it because it's an empowered black woman and so are you. Absolutely. <laughs> a voluptuous <laughs> black woman. Built Thanks. like a Decepticon. Yes, you are. You are built like a Decepticon. Don't try me. Don't, I'm sorry. Don't I apologize. Try Thank I apologize. You. I appreciate it. Yes. You are built like a strong black man. You have beautiful black skin. You're amazing. Why would you say something in the midst of me insulting you just so I can't say anything back? That was really I always low. take the higher road. When they go low, you go high? Okay. I stay high. I bet you do. <laughs> oh, wow. Edibles and all. Oh, yes. You're going to be putting... Mix it with the henny. I know what you can do. Ooh. You can put the uh, weed inside your candles and burn it and people get high off of contact oh, high. Great idea. Great idea. Right? Jot that that's down right, right now. <laughs> I want 50% of the profit. Yes. Okay, that's fine. Yes. That's fine. You can have it. Yes. You Good. Can have it. From those candles. Yeah. The whole company. From the cannabis and 75%. Fuse. Yeah. Sounds great. 75%? We'll discuss later. <laughs> <laughs> you selfish. Okay, so who am I shouting out? I still really don't know who the hell I'm shouting out. So I'm going to shout out the Susu. Because we really are trying to make it work. I'm going to talk about the Susu in a more formalized manner. That will be an upcoming show because the Susu, I want to educate people about it. It's difficult to build. And I say that it's difficult because people have such a hard time understanding what it is. And people are so comfortable in disbelief and so comfortable and so, so used to losing that they don't know how to win. And I did become part of a Susu and it is difficult to build. After talking to several people, a lot of people don't want to participate for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a risk to some degree, but it's not a big risk. You know what I mean? So I, I just want to shout out to Susu because I think it'll be a great thing. The Susu is something that could help us as African-descended brown people reach some serious financial goals and really get somewhere. It would definitely help me a lot. So yeah. People just have to believe, though. They have to believe, and I think at this time right now, you know, I work at a financial institution, and I help a lot of brown people, and not just brown people, but people are very hesitant about putting their money in places right now because they, everyone was hit, you know, with job losses, not everyone, but a lot of people, over what, 40 million Americans, absolutely, and people didn't have savings, and their unemployment didn't kick right in. So they're like, well, shit, what am I about to do? So now people might be back to work. And if the ones that are back to work aren't making as much as they were before because their hours are cut because places aren't open, the normal hours that they were. So they're holding on to every penny that they have because they're scared that a 
it's going to happen again where everything just gets completely shut down. So they don't want to put their money in anywhere that um, where it may not be accessible where it again. May not be accessible yeah. again because of, it's an investment. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, it's difficult to build, but it's still easy to build if you have the right conversations with the right people, and you can really build yourself a nice additional tax-free bit of wealth. And yes. It's all very legal. Yes. Um, but I understand because I'm I'm concerned about my job as well. I'm concerned if it'll be there because. What a schools I go back to that have? Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! I decided to share my yawn with you guys instead of pulling away from the mic because this is not this is an authentic podcast. It was so beautiful. I'm yawning. It was beautiful. Yes, my mouth opened up wider than this microphone. The best so. note you've ever produced. Wow. Anyway, so that's my shout out. The Susu show to be coming about the Susu in the very near future. And there's some other things we need to really talk about. Cause I, I'm learning something. I learned, learned a lot about stuff. So it'll be an interesting show coming up about the Susu and something else. I'm going to try to get my brother Rihanna on here and my sister Carl. Yes. Love them. But with the one thing piggybacking off of what you said, is yeah. the Susu is putting people in place of getting ahead of their finances and or eliminating debt or eliminating debt. And people, they're just not used to, they wait until something bad happens, and then they now have themselves in a predicament where, shit, I need money fast. What am I about to do? Oh, I have to go to CheckSmart and get this cash advance, this payday loan that's taxed up 650%, and now I can't pay it back. So now I'm in this continuous cycle of having to go to this place. And people need to get, they need to invest in themselves before it's too late. Because that's what happens is people waited until it was too late, until they lost their job, and now they're stuck in their house, and they're like, oh, look, I have these new shoes, I have this, these new clothes. But I got all this debt. And I have this debt, and I don't have anywhere to wear these new shoes, and I don't have anywhere to wear these new clothes. And I don't have a car clothes. to drive. I don't have a car, and now I'm waiting for unemployment, and I can't even get through to these people. Like, damn, maybe I should have did a better job at saving money. And that's the reality that a lot of people are facing now. So now they're even more hesitant and banks don't want to give people shit right now. I know because I work at one. Correct. <laughs> they're making it harder for everybody. Correct. So, yeah. So yeah. that's scary. Yep. You know, that's very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we are. Yep. So the Susu yes. coming to a theater well, a podcast near you. So here is the, re- oh my goodness. You know what? I started out with a different random question. Because I was doing a different topic, and I don't want to use that random question anymore. Okay. But I'm going to ask this question anyway. Okay. So, do you have, let me just ask you this, and I'll answer it for myself. And we may have had this conversation on the show again. I don't care. Sometimes we're going to repeat things because we're going to have different perspectives and think time changes. So, so do our mentalities and thoughts about things. Are you more afraid of walking through a group of white people or a group of black people? group of Asian people, Indian people, whatever. If you are in your city of dwelling and there is a group of African descended brown men on the street and you're by yourself, do you cross the street or you walk through them? And then if there's a if you're by yourself and there's a group of Caucasian males, do you cross the street or you walk through them? Which are you more afraid to walk through? Now don't answer it the socially correct way. Just answer it based on what you legitimately wholeheartedly feel inside your breast. Um if it's men, I'm nervous either way, no matter what the race. Um, because men often see me as an easy target because of 
my feminine mannerisms. And I also, I also, I don't want to say I make myself an easy target, but just being myself, I'm, I'm looked at more than others. Um, like, although today I just have on a, a pair of shorts, you know, they're not the, not the longest shorts and people are instantly going to look at me because of that. But being around men in general, brown or non-brown would make me nervous. So do you cross the street for both groups or do you walk through one group and you're okay across staying on the same side of the street? I walk through both of them because I can't live in fear. For all I know, it could be a group of gay men. I'm making an assumption based off of looks that someone is not going to like me or who I am or possibly attack me. And I can't live my life that way. Of course, I have to be cautious. But why go out of my way to make someone else feel better Correct. about um, themselves or that I'm not invading their space? Because we're all human and we all deserve to be here um, equally. So, no. If I'm in my city of dwelling, no. Now, if I'm in other places, yes. If I'm alone, I would cross the street. With both groups? With both groups. What makes it different in your city of dwelling? Because your city of dwelling is not far from here. And... It's not, but I grew up there. I feel safe there. I know, I know the area. I've lived there my entire life. I know the area. I know a lot of people. It's one of those I'm good in every hood type of deals when I'm there. I'm, I'm well known in that area. Um, I always feel fine by myself. Okay. So that, that would be why. Did not know that you felt safe like that. Okay. In my own area, yes. I mean, and we've had instances before where we've been together and, you know, we get in the car and you yell at me to lock the door because I don't immediately lock the door. You know, you helped me to have a, a heightened sense of awareness, and, awareness security. and security. So those are things that I do take into consideration now. I don't want to say that I had an idea that I was untouchable, but I kind of did. And that's because of my experience in high school. It was either fight or flight. And I chose the flight. Because I'm not, I was told before I went into high school, like, if you're going to be an out gay boy, because I was out in middle school, so I was out going to high school, if you're going to be an out gay man, and you're going to live your life happily and be yourself, then you need to protect yourself. And my way of protecting myself was coming off as a bitch, and hard, and, like, unfuckwithable. I like that. And that Unfuckwithable. Yeah. That's a new word. That, you already hear a first on Corn Running Caviar from James Brandon. Yeah. And that transitioned from my high school experience to now, especially because I, I used to go to fucking Target wearing six inch heels, little ass booty shorts, and I could give a fuck about what someone says about me. So that's also where it came from. I, I knew that if I stepped out into, stepped out of the house looking like that, I had to be aware of my surroundings and ready to handle whatever was coming at me. That's fair. That's fair. What about you? So, it's a couple of pieces to this. So, my mom is like one of the most cautious people. And what you got from me, I got from her. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and so locking doors and watching your surroundings. Whereas a lot of people are out and about. They're just a fucking oblivious to what's going on around them. I take a glance around every few seconds to make sure there's nobody approaching that I can see that I might need to prepare myself to engage. Um, so prior to the racial situation that's happening in America currently, um, I was more likely to avoid contact with a group of African-American men because media has taught me um, that we are violent people and that we are robbers and murderers and killers. And um, since, but that wasn't my identity, but that's what I learned we are, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Some of my people learned that's what we are from media and then they took on that identity so a lot of us have become that thing yeah um, we have become the murderer we have become the person who picks on people and tries to steal from them because we don't have and of course we're kept in a consistent place of lack and need and necessity rather so that puts us in a position where we need to we feel like we have to take in order to conquer and achieve so with me being a non-thuggish type of male masculine male but still non-thuggish I've and, and being teased a lot growing up because people still called me gay and called me all kinds of nasty mean things because I spoke well instead of talk good um, I just felt like it would be an altercation and because I'm not a small dude they might take it as me being disrespectful I don't know so I was more likely to avoid or just crossing the street or whatever um, a, a larger group of African American men who might want to take what I have um, but that's my mindset. Now I'm just being open about it. I'm not saying that that's the case, but I'm just being open about my personal experience and why, you know, why I feel like that because I've watched the news for my whole 30, almost 38 years of life. And this is what it has shown me about us. Yeah. And so we do internalize that to some degree. We might internalize it and become that, or we might internalize it and then apply that to others that look like us. So just being open about my stereotypes about how I feel about people, um, in general. Um, now, and if it were a group of white guys, typically I, you know, if they looked like they were a type of white guy that identified with the hip hop identified situation, they felt like they were a black thug or whatever. Cause there are a lot of, you know, white dudes out there who believe that they are macho and they're, you know, not that black white dudes can't be macho, but that some of them who literally you look at them and by mannerism and behavior, you think there's a black dude in the hood when they're just a white dude. Yep. But um, if it's that kind of dude, they have more to prove. So I would avoid that group, too, to avoid confrontation. Now, if it's a regular look group of white dudes, I'm more or less likely to cross the streets. I'm like, okay, they're safe. But this is what society has, this is what society has done right. to us. That a suit and tie is safer than a pair a, of... A fitted cap, a, a pair of Timberlands, some baggy jeans, or whatever. Right. Or they might just have one, some shorts like these or like you and a T-shirt, but it's a group of white people. Right. So that makes me more comfortable. And that's something that I've struggled with for a long time because I hate the fact that I feel like that, but it is the truth. Yeah. And it's something that I've been working through for a long time. I now, for the last couple of years, um, I speak to everybody, you know, especially African-American folks. I'll say, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm like, yes. or what's up, bro, whatever. And I'll get ahead. Now, sometimes I get ignored, but I still speak to all of my people, especially my people, but all of everybody, just so that way they know I see you. Right. And we see each we other. We see each other. Yeah, exactly. We see each other. Yeah. And I don't want to, 
you know, I want to acknowledge your presence and your energy as a, another yeah. African-American person, sister or brother, whatever. Yeah. And I, I work really, really day. hard to say hello and try to make them feel like they're important to me in that moment. Um, but then, um, you know, like I, back to my original point, present day, if I see a group of white folks, I might walk the other way or I might walk, avoid that crowd because you never know what's happening there because they might want to start some shit, pull out a gun, shoot me, say I was attacking them. You never know because the way things are right now, I definitely want to just avoid yeah. the confrontation. I don't want to lose my life over some stupid shit. Right. So that's yeah. my... Yeah. Now, to all of that, as you were speaking, I, you know, now I might avoid going places because of that. So if I was invited, you know, to a, a party and it had been at Nikki's, Nikki's Greek Town. I'm not going. I know the crowd that's there. I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I won't have fun because I'm going to feel on edge the whole time. What's going to happen? Because there's a lot of DL straight men who really want to like have sex with you, but then they take out their aggression on you because they can't touch you the way they want to. So they touch you with their fists. Right. So I will avoid going to places like that. Um, but then on the other hand, if you say, let's go, I don't know. I don't know of any predominantly non-people of color places. Somewhere in Royal Oak, Ferndale. See, I'll go to those places, like a Pronto, or what's the other one? Valentine Vodka Bar, Soho. I've never been there. Soho. Um, I'll go to those places, but see, that's also not my crowd and I say it's not it's okay so it's not that it's not my crowd but it is not my crowd because they don't if I'm going out I want to hear some some hood music because I'm ratchet because I am ratchet so if I'm going out I want to hear yes James the Stallion okay cutie with the booty I want to hear ratchet music if I'm going out so I will avoid places that like i'll go there if i just want to sit and have a calm drink but if i want to have a turn up time i know like where i need to go um so yes i will avoid the last places. thing you need is while you're out in the floor dancing check your ass with your girls you mistakenly brush up against a dude who feel like oh you disrespect because you you little fag you didn't put your ass on me da, 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 da. next thing you know right because if i walk into a building Heads will turn, and I'm not saying that to be cocky. No, you're right, because you don't look like what they expect the archetype of a man is for exactly. the American community. I wear tighter clothes, you know, my lips going to be popping, and I don't dim my own light going into an area like that to make other people feel comfortable. You should not have so to change I just who you are to make don't people go. feel comfortable for in yeah. your environment. This is, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. That's deep. Hand me some of that tissue over there because my allergies is acting a little crazy. Thank you very much. Welcome. So, um, would you like to do the brown brilliance while I blow my nose? Because <laughs> I'm not getting off this mic to blow my, I'm blowing my nose. Oh, Lord. All right. So, let's get into the brown brilliance. So, in 1982, after finishing residency, Dr. <laughs> Kennedy decided to... Oh, my gosh. Absolutely not. Back away from the mic. <laughs> Decided to specialize as a pediatric neurosurgeon, becoming the first African-American and the first woman to do so. Are you done? I'm just... 
Back away from the mic. I'm just trying to shoot. It's obnoxious. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. She chose pediatrics because of her love of the children in the pediatric ward during her residency, stating, it never ceased to amaze me how happy the children were. As a patient-focused surgeon, she was known to play video games with her pediatric patients and form relationships with each patient. She started practicing for a short time at the Henry Ford Hospital before going to work at the Children's Hospital of Michigan. She then became the first African-American woman to be a board-certified neurosurgeon in 1984. She became chief of neurosurgery at the Children's Hospital of Michigan in 1987 and held the position until her partial retirement in 2001. During her time as chief, she specialized in... Ooh. What? What happened? I wanted to say congenital. Congenital? (laughs) Congenital? Yes. Spiral abnormalities. Hydro... Ooh, these are big words. I'm learning me something. So, we have congenital (laughs) spinal abnormalities, hydrocephalus, trauma, and brain tumors. Yes. Well, initially, she was worried about how she would be received by her peers. She quickly gained admiration for being a patient care-focused surgeon. In a recent interview, she stated, it's fun to make people better. Today's Brown Brilliance Award goes to Michigan's own... Dr. Alexa Kennedy. (laughs) Now, just for those of you who are listening, let me make sure I was clear. I was being goofy by blowing my nose, and this allergy is not COVID, but there's no disrespect to Dr. Kennedy. She is an African-American, the one of the, the, the first African-American pedi, pedi, uh, pediatrician. What's the word? Pedia. Whatever. She does surgery on, on kids, brain surgery, okay? <laughs> She's a pediatric brain surgeon. Oh, there, a pediatric neurosurgeon. There we go. So anyway, no disrespect to her, just being goofy, but seriously, Dr. Kennedy, fantastic. She's not retired, but that is amazing. So yes, today's Brown Bridge Award goes to Dr. Alexa Kennedy. So, we're going to get into this meet. Congratulations, Dr. Kennedy. Hope you can come on the show one day. We would love to have you. Thank you so much. We appreciate all you did. Thank God I didn't have to have surgery in my brain when I was a kid. Ramon. James probably needed some because he's crazy. You should have gave him a whole lobotomy. Anyway, so we talked about this topic before in season one. And we want to cover it again, but kind of put a historical spin on it because... Um, Someone I'm close to is in school and studying history this semester. And as I partake in like, looking at some of the materials, because I'm curious, you know. Um, quite frankly, white settlers were fucked up. They did some really fucked up things, moving Indians off of their land and making it, you know what I'm saying, killing them and maiming them, like just dominating shit, which is really fucked up when you're just taking stuff from people and then claiming it as your own and feeling like you have a right to what's, your, what's, what's someone else's. That's fucked up. Yep. You know, then bringing our our ancestors over here, kidnapping, raping, beating, abusing the whole injury of the slavery, slave trade, whatever. So, you know what I'm saying? So there is no true justification for the happenings of yesterday. But since yesterday happened, it needs to be discussed, especially in the context of how slavery was so prominent. So as years went on and slavery did persist and in the post-slavery time and up to now, there were like devious but very effective marketing tactics happening in American society and I suspect across the whole world to justify the foolishness, the violence, the abuse, mayhem against brown Americans, particularly African descended. So even start with the word black. 
And we talked about this before too. This is a negative connotation associated with the word black. Yep. White America has long since given a negative connotation to the word black. What are some of those terms, James? Tell us some of the terms that black is associated with. Let's see if we can find some positivity in any of them. So some of the terms, you're talking about like the Sambo? No. No, no, no. 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 We, we are right there no. where oh found it never mind yes yeah, so you just all of, <laughs> i write the shows i give you the show so you, you are going off up. script i never go off script i am the script. script so let's see if we, we can come up with you you know what black market where is the positivity in that that describes what where drugs are sold it's a way to describe where illegal the activities illegal are activities ha- happen, happen where there's the slaves does this the sex trade or drugs or anything like that is a negative thing and fbi is usually involved with that because they want to get people in jail who are participating in purchasing and selling on the black market that yes. is negative what else black list what is a black list to you james um when someone is blacklisted it just kind of means they're we're just done with them they're yeah just no longer like oh like monique monique was blacklisted. blacklisted and that means that basically anyone in a position of power is no longer going to help her see and she was blacklisted by tyler perry her, oprah her brothers and, and sisters leah leanne daniels yeah we talked about that we as talked well. about that as well on corporate yeah. caviar so that doesn't sound positive to me not at all how about black eye does that sound positive no who wants a black eye doesn't that doesn't that like Happen after some violent after act. violence, yes. What else? Black out. So. The loss of, I mean, when I hear the term blackout, it means like the loss of power, basically. Okay. I, or, or consciousness. I associate it with, yes, yes. Either one. With the loss of of something that you need. Like to I need thrive. to be conscious. And, okay. Yes. That's, that sounds kind of negative. That doesn't sound positive. Right. I mean, who wants to go unconscious? Who wants or to who wants to lose power? Who wants to lose power? So, okay. yep. Um, black box. Now, see, this one, because uh, a black box is on an airplane, but you only usually deal with the black box once the airplane crashes. So I guess that's the negative connotation. It's a black box on an airplane that they use to get information about the flight. Everything that happened on that flight is contained in the black box, which is usually, I don't think, damaged within the crash of an airplane and somehow it just survives. Which I, that would lead me to believe that the airplane should be able to survive a crash too if the black, black, box, black can box can survive. But that's, you can look at it that way negatively. If it's a black box, only is accessed when the plane crashes. That's the negativity. So yeah. crash, now you got a black box to look at. What yep. else? Black mood. I, I, I'm not even going to figure that one out. I'm yeah, gonna... I don't know. The only thing I can think about is like attitude, maybe, associated. I mean, we could try to Google mood. it. It's a black mood, yeah. A black mood. What is a black mood? Let's see. Um, black mood means a very unhappy feeling. She was in one of her black moods today. Okay, so it's a very unhappy feeling. Why does a black mood have to be the happy why one? Why gotta why be black? Why can't the black mood be the happy one? Right. Right? Does that mean a white mood is a happy mood? I don't see. What is right. a white Right. What's mood? the opposite of it? Because normally there's opposites for all of these things. Yeah. White mood. Um, I don't know. Let's see. The opposite of black mood. 
So let's see if it comes up. What is the opposite of a mood? Uh, no. 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 Nope. Are we reaching a little bit? Maybe, but Maybe. still, it makes sense. But still, yeah. black mood is negative. What else we got? Black magic. We can go right ahead and we already know what that's all about. Like when we had voodoo, voodoo. which was our religious practice and you know, we were made to believe the marketing was done to make us believe that that was a negative thing. Right. It's really not what white America made it. They made it, they demonized it, forced Christianity down the throats of the slaves and boom. Right. Now today, even we still today think that, you know, you know, when I was thinking about voodoo, I was like, oh, it's so negative, so nasty, so bad. It's blah, blah, blah. It's but horrible. It's, not. it's about how you use it. Correct. Correct, but you got to understand the universe is going to be, it's a karmic, I just believe in karma, the whole karmic debt versus karma, you know, good karma and karmic debt, that whole thing is. We put ourselves in positions of good and bad karma every day. Correct. Consciously and subconsciously. It's those people who consistently create karmic debt, which makes me wonder, is the universe paying attention? Because it's like a lot of people who are creating dark Dark karma, see black karma, or see black karma. See what comes out of my, comes out of my mouth naturally. Why it gotta be black, right? That's <laughs> what I'm saying. It comes out of my mouth. People are creating this negative karma, this karmic debt. They're not paying for it. The racism is going on. Where's the payback? You yeah, know what I'm saying? Right. So is it real? Exactly. So I mean, the list goes on and on. You got what? What else? We got black, black sheep, death, black, black sheep, yeah. black face, black hand, black head, Ooh. black hole, black hole, black hole black. is nice. Um. Black now, now shirt. the whole shouldn't be black. It should get a little pink in there. <laughs> if it's black, they might not be washing it. Oh. Maybe yeah. that's a... Okay. <laughs> black male, black ball. All these things are bad. And you compound all that shit with, you know, the, the that, that though all those black terms, you could, now we're called black people. That's why... When starting this podcast, I wanted to say brown people, brown African descended people. So now you got a whole group of people who are identified as black, and then we see that black creates a negative connotation in the minds of those who receive that word, and then they begin to behave and act and think in the same way that one would when they hear the word black. So when I see a black person, they're violent, they're aggressive. Like I was talking about earlier with my with the shout out, I mean the brown brilliance. No, sorry, what were we talking about? We were talking. About, it started in the um, shout out section, and I was talking about the susu and the, oh, random question of the day. There we go. Yeah. Sorry, took me a second to get back there. Ooh, girl. Listen, I'm. Let me tell you something. I'm. I'm. I'm coming back online. I had to reboot. But anyway, with the random question of the day, like I said, in my mind, I see a group of black people, and I'm not as comfortable. And that's what I was taught to be. Now I'm aware of it. And I'm still going to do what I need to do to protect myself because as humans, we always analyze. It's our nature innately to analyze what we see in front of us um but then also looking at things through a different lens that's what i'm working through as well so i am literally intentionally working through it but i'm also not going to put myself in danger because some of the things that i believe have actually happened do happen and i'm not gonna put myself in danger for the benefit of not appearing to be racist because i'm not racist clearly i'm black so I'm brown, but you know what I mean? I, I want to make sure I'm okay. I want to live. I don't want to be a victim of a foolish, senseless crime just because I wanted to walk through some guys and they're all hyper-masculine and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's my story with that. So uh, we came across this great article by a lady named Laura Green from Virginia Commonwealth University. And if you want the reference to it, you can because there's a lot of additional references within her writing. But I loved how she 
built out these different designations for African-Americans and some of the things that we're going to try to see if we can parallel some of that to today. But these are some of those things. Um, so, yeah. So what were some of these images, I guess, that we have? Yes. So some of the images are the Sambo or Sambo. Sambo. Um, Jim Crow, the Savage, Mammy, Aunt Jemima, Sapphire, which sounds like a stripper name to me. Doesn't it? And Jezebel. Or a character on Teen Titans. Oh, yeah. I watch cartoons. I like that show. Mm-hmm. Tanner's like the one little thing. Not to get off topic. Beast Boy. Beast Boy. Yes, yeah. he is like Beast Boy. <laughs> All right. So, Sambo. <laughs> he will beat you up. I know. So, Sambo. One of the most enduring stereotypes in American history is that of the Sambo. Um, 1986. You don't have to read the, no. in no. the APA format reference guide. <laughs> Just wanted to put that there so that we would be plagiarizing. I'm aware. I'm aware. So the image of a Sambo, which I learned about this today, um, is an image of a simple-minded, docile black man. Okay. Oh, keep going. oh, I Sorry, thought I was... you were going to stop me. Which dates back as far as the colonization of America. And, and um, Sambo is the notion that there's a happy slave, which <laughs> I... That sounds counterintuitive to me. Very counterintuitive. Um, white slave owners molded African-American males into this image of a jolly, overgrown child who was happy to serve his master. And I don't agree with that at all, but I wasn't there. Um, however, the Sambo was seen as naturally lazy and therefore reliant upon his master for direction. In this way, the institution of slavery was justified. Now, if you go back um, over the years, and we did not do this analysis, but there are studies that show how music, music lyrics, movies, uh, sayings, you know, literature, children's stories... Games, so all these things perpetuate this stereotype of a lazy, happy slave uh, who's happy to serve his master. And so that even happens today. And music even today is used to denigrate women and denigrate black people or whatever. I'm going to kill you, shoot you in your head, blah, 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 or fucking bitches left or right, whatever it is. Like we were just talking about earlier with Trina and Megan Thee Stallion and, you know, Cardi. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was perpetuated over and over and over again throughout the lineages and it was shaping and the enduring attitude that um we as african americans <laughs> we're lazy black people we're lazy black so we got the black and we got lazy you know what i'm saying happy to serve your master blah 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 basically oafs big stupid oafs um yeah. and the, i mean lazy is i mean people still use that against black people to this day Yes. Oh, black people need food stamps because they're lazy. Or they need government assistance. We need to do away with government assistance so that they're not lazy anymore. Make them work. You know, it's like people think that government assistance is in place because black people are just lazy. Like they're the only ones that are on government assistance. Correct. Which they're is not, not true. They're not the only ones. Yeah. So it's it always comes down to that. However, I wouldn't even say it's laziness. I think it's just 
sometimes black people are tired of working so damn hard. It's not yeah. being lazy. You got to work twice as hard to get half of what everyone else has. I'm going to agree with you and then disagree at the same time. I disagree because I think that some of us can be lazy. Oh, absolutely. Because we don't know better. We, you know, I've seen it in my family sometimes where people are getting food stamps and that's fine. Nothing wrong with it. But, you know, to stay there as a place of comfort I got I had gotten a bridge card twice in my life. I ain't ashamed to admit it. Once when I was in college, going to school full time at U of M, and then once when I lost my job, which I as I always say, a lot of you already know if you listen to the show consistently. When I lost my job March 2018, I also got a bridge card then too, and I used it, but it wasn't my consistent way of living. I mean, I enjoyed the break for a little bit. You know, I used that card. I whatever took my unemployment and whatever it was I was doing, but I. I was happy with it for a while, but I couldn't stay in that place. I couldn't stay in that place of destitution because it's not a way to really live comfortably. You have to get back out there and you got to fight and work hard again. So it's a temporary fix to, you know, it's a temporary fix, but you still need a permanent solution. Absolutely. And so, yeah, some people are just lazy and they're like, you know, even with work right now with them giving this extra $600 in stimulus, that's gone now. People probably wanted to get back to work, but now they put it at $400. So now that's going to be the new payout for people. So they're probably going to be less likely to want to come back to work because people are still afraid. And also people don't, why the fuck would I go to work and I can sit home and make this money and it's more than I would make anyway. Oh, yeah. That's the lazy part. Absolutely. Now, the other part of it is systemically we were programmed by all this, like we talked about, the literature, the, the, the books, the movies, the folk sayings, da, 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 all these different things. And so we became and we actualized what we believe we are. Like I was even talking about with us and my way of looking at a group of African-American men. That's what we see when we look at each other. And that's what we see when we look at ourselves in the mirror, a lot of us who have not been able to break that cycle. So now I believe that I'm lazy. I believe these things. So then I am. And then there are systemic issues because I got a job, but it's at McFucking Donald's and I'm flipping fries for six fifty an hour and I'm working my ass I've worked from sun up to sundown working 13 14 15 16 hours a day still can't make it quite make it meet but I got my bridge card and I got my public assistance so right. I'm good right and I'm gonna stay there because I'm working so hard just to make these ends meet but even me working 12 13 14 15 16 hours a day does not let me make ends meet but I got these governmental assistant things that will right so, so you, if I go to school I don't know I can go to school I don't know I can be better than I am Right. Because nobody has broken the cycle. Right. I have no idea that I can do better. I see people doing better. Yeah. But it don't click to me that I can. Yeah. Or people are lazy. They don't want to go to school and work those 12, 13, 14 hour shifts, which, hey, I get it because I don't want to work my eight hour shift and go to school. I'll be tired. So I completely understand. But it's going to take that hard work so that you can be lazy later in life. So you can go enjoy life. But that's what people are doing right now. They're taking their government assistance and they're enjoying life, which they've never really been able to do. Yeah, people are like, I, I can breathe. Yeah. I'm human. Sleeping in, skin is clearing up. Stress is going down. Out, right. But everybody's not doing that. Everybody's still no. blowing. Nobody's saving. I mean, not nobody, but right. a lot of folks still ain't saving money. Right. Y'all buying up the Hennessy. I can't even buy any because y'all buying it up with your unemployment money and I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. And you know how you, we, we know how you feel about Hennessy because you are a student of love, life, and Hennessy. Yes. Yes, I am. Now, you've heard of the Jim Crow laws, right? Yes. Very restrictive laws for the black, black America back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I learned something new while preparing for the show. Jim Crow was actually a character, and it was that character was of a caricature of what the perception of black people were was mm-hmm. right. So, and again, this is all marketing. Marketing is extremely powerful. People who are good at marketing. That's why Chris Jenner. She's good at marketing because she can market her daughters and whatever. She can market anything. She can market anything. <laughs> she can market the vagina of her ex-husband. Yes. Ex-wife. I don't know how that works. Anyway, so, you know, um, stereotyping of African-Americans, it was put on stage theatrically, right? So there, were, there was um, the black-faced minstrel, and this began like the early 19th century. So the performers, which were white men, darkened their faces with uh, burnt cork and... They painted grotesquely exaggerated white mouths over their own. So they put on woolly black wigs and, you know, they took the stage to entertain people with all this stuff, the big lips and the, the wig that's woolly and, you know what I'm saying, the black face. And they thought that was funny. Um, and this, this character, the, the city dandy, it was called, um, that was the northern counterpart and his name was Jim Crow. This character's name was Jim Crow and he was a northern counterpart to the plantation darkie in the South. That's how they ex- described it. The plantation darkie was in the South and then Jim Crow was in the North. And there was a folk song. We talked about earlier how the folk music or folk sayings kind of played into the stereotypes. I'm going to try to sp- speak these out, but it was some weird shit. But anyway, um, this song was published by E. Riley in 1830. Um, it says, I'm a full-blooded nigger Abd de real old stock. I'm assuming they meant of the real old stock. Okay, so there's, they're using the, they make us sound ignorant. They make us sound stupid um, and uneducated. So I'm pretty sure he meant of the real old stock. Um, but I'm going to read it as it is. I'm a full-blooded nigger of the real old stock. And with my head and shoulder, I can split a horse block. Wheel about and turn about and do just so. Every time I wheel about, I jump Jim Crow. So that was a catchy little song because it rhymed. Mm-hmm. And anytime something rhymes, again, it's marketing. So if something marketing. rhymes, it's easier to remember. remember. That's why we had three hosts on the show because three is more attractive per marketing. Marketing is so powerful. When you're writing does, a paper, three examples. Exactly. Because it, it grabs your intention. Yeah, three the yeah. rhyming, the whatever, everything just kind of plays into that whole marketing of whatever. So, um, and then you got to remember then, like, black actors, they started playing these roles, right? They started playing these roles in movies because now oh, we, get, we, get, we can be in movies now. But they were doing damage, but they had to play the role so they can make their little money too because I'm sure they were not paid nearly as much as the white actors. But, you know what I'm saying? They're in these movies playing these parts on stage and whatever. And, um... It's a guy named Burt Williams. He was like a popular African-American artist who performed the stereotype of white, uh, for white society. And the response was also widely enthusiastic as 26 million Americans went to the movie to see Al Jolson in The Jazz Singer. So, stereotypes. All the stereotypical shit. Just And if you remember, I believe we did briefly discuss it on here before, um, when Gucci released... They had like the, oh, the ski masks and it was all black lips. with the big red lips. And there was all that uproar about like, how did someone in that office not fucking know what was going to happen when that came out? And that's exactly it right there. 
you know? I mean, who? for all we know, the person who came up with the design had absolutely no clue about Jim Crow or anything. Um, but in this day and age... I have to assume they didn't. But in this day and age, you should have a diverse group of people in that room to where someone can speak to, uh-uh, that ain't gonna work out. That's not gonna work out. And you know what? They may have thought that they would just be... Because let me say, a couple things I could say, and I'm not... I'm definitely not refuting the fact that they should have fucking known because they should have focus groups that they test it with before they bring it out to the large market, yeah. the market at large, whatever. But um, the the people may have been in another country. Isn't it Gucci out of what, Italy or yeah. it's out of Italy, I guess. Probably. So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? They should, they may have a different culture there. And they may have been thinking that it represented a white woman who wanted to have her lips enhanced by collagen and painted on a red lip. They may not have thought about it as a black person with full lips. Either way, they still should have fucking known. Well, honestly, I don't think they were doing that to imitate lips at all because it was one of a few designs and all of them had, oops, sorry, that all of them had that, the design where it looks like it might have been lips, but some of it was like a geometrical print. It wasn't all just a color. So I don't even think they were trying to make it look like lips. They were just enhancing that area of the mask, you know, um, to bring some dimension to it. That's my personal take on it. I don't know. I was not in the creative room, so I don't know. You know, and a lot of people will see stuff like that and instantly, it's instantly guns ablaze. And, You're jumping to defense. You know, but, yeah. so, Jump to the fence immediately. Right. So next we have The Savage. Not to Is be it Megan the Savage? With your classy, or Beyonce and bougie Megan? ratchet. Okay, that's him mood and nasty. Okay, was, see, look at me knowing pop culture. You know, you it's Megan the Stallion. See, and the remixes with Beyonce. Beyonce, see there. I'm so proud of you. Ha, look at me. I'm growing. I'm gonna buy you a treat. Yes. What is it? Wait, now don't try no dog treat shit because I know you. You'll do some really shady shit. I would not feed treat. you a dog treat. Cat treat. I would not. <laughs> a bird treat. A reptile. No, treat. no. Warm. Butter pecan ice cream with a peanut butter cookie that was warmed up in the That sounds delightful. That's a good treat. Thank you. Not warm butter pecan, but kind of heating because you got to knock the chill off. You just want to knock the chill off of it, and then you want the cookie to be preheated just a little bit because you want it to be soft. That's right. See? Thank you. You're welcome. You're a good subject for King Ramon. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. Um... So yes, the savage. Like I said, not to be confused with the the song. Um, so movies were and still are a powerful medium for the transmission of stereotypes and a lot of other things. Um, early silent movies such as The Wooing and Wedding of a Coon. I've never heard these movie titles, by the way. And this is from 1904. So yes. Some... And then The Slave in 1905. <laughs> the Sambo series. Wow. which was a series from 1909 until 1911. And then the one that took me the most, The Nigger. So literally a movie titled The Nigger, which came out in 1915. Um, they all offered existing stereotypes through a fascinating, fascinating yeah. new medium. So let me point out here, this is around the times movies actually came out. So movies came out. And then they started, they were able to disseminate and spread messaging a lot easier. The more advances there are in technology and media and communications, the easier it is to spread stereotypes. Yep. 
And then um, in 1915, there was the premiere of a movie, which I think a lot of people know, um, Birth of a Nation. Um, it marked the change in emphasis from the happy Sambo and the pretentious and inept Jim Crow stereotypes to that of a savage. What, what do you think a savage is? So now they, so for me, they got rid of the happy Negro slave who was a big dope, and they sent him to the I'm an entertainer and I'm funny, and I'm just a big court gesture, and I'm a big joke. I'm a clown, essentially, is what the, this, the Jim Crow was. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a violent, angry, evil man, which I believe is the most common, yeah. the most recent thing. Because I don't think I see anybody around here sambowing, or I don't see anybody around here. You know, but then again, there are some of us who you look at them like, you look goofy than a motherfucker. And they act the same way too, but they are not trying to move forward. They're just happy as fuck and they look goofy. <laughs> Listen, so there are some samples out there. You are so serious about I it. I am. I'm sorry. And then there are some Jim Crows out there, yes. Yeah. But now I think modern the most day. prevalent modern day thing is the most prevalent is the savage. For me, a savage is a person who basically is like an animal pure instinct attack whenever whenever they feel like attacking violent crude mean evil it's a savage it's a it's an unrefined citizen unrefined person that's a savage in my opinion okay and that's what i think a lot of us have fallen into in terms of how we engage society because now i'm savagely selling drugs in my own neighborhoods and i'm going to shoot this person, oh, a drug dealer, if he don't get, bring me back my money, and I'm going to shoot him, and that's a savage. I'm going I'm to fuck this bitch. Like in, up in Flint, where I work, uh, one of my employees, her uh, brother got killed because he, his girlfriend was left at a house with his friend for a couple minutes. He had to run around the corner. He came back. The girl was dead. Then they killed him. They raped a pregnant woman and killed her, and then they tied the man up and killed him. Now, I don't know what the purpose of this all was, but... I have to, I don't know who the culprits were, so I don't want to assume they were black, but I more than likely, it's in Flint, they, they're probably black. You know what I'm saying? That's savage. That's savage. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's just... Yeah. When I think of savage, I don't automatically go to violence. I think, well, not physical violence. I might think of like verbal and intellectual violence against each other um, and just how... You know, I'm much younger than you, so we are, you know, we did grow up in a different time. Okay. Um, <laughs> Be very careful, James. Be very careful. But um, when I think of savage, I just remember, like, being in middle school and even in high school. And even now, a savage is someone who, you know, oh, I'm, I'm dogging these girls out. Like, that makes me a savage. Or the girl who got, you know three, four, five, like, men who's buying her gifts and stuff like that. Like, you know, we, you know, she'd be a savage because she's just playing everybody, you know. Like, no regards or remorse for how anybody else feels with their actions. That's what I think of when I think of savage. Um, and then, of course, now Megan Thee Stallion's changed my whole um, <laughs> perception of savage, you know, instantly. Classy, bougie, ratchet, all of those things, so... Um, but back to that's just real quick. I wanted to say that now they're, you know, that's still for a black man. That's, that's not going to change, but for women, 
who listen to Megan, they're going to think of a savage as somebody who's classy and bougie and ratchet. So they're going to be ghetto as fuck. And their idea of classy might be going to get a bottle of Moet having six to ten inch nails and long hair. I live for that. To look, okay, see, to look, but it's a Eurocentric look. The long hair, it's not your natural hair. So you want to look like a European woman. Who is natural? But see, that's a whole debate because our natural is our beauty. Like I read an article, I posted an article on my LinkedIn the other day and I was, you know, saying there is a, um, a, an attorney who refused to cut off his locks because his look, his hair, that's who he is. And that's what he wanted to present himself as. I have dreadlocks. I'm not cutting my dreadlocks to make you comfortable in my environment. That doesn't make sense. Why would I want, if I'm in my own environment, why should I make you comfortable in my environment? You need to get comfortable in your environment, so comfortable that you're not worried about what the fuck's going on in my environment. Just right. respect my differences. But then also, that, and this is natural hair. Why would I, why, why is classy, bougie, ratchet? I mean, I'm ghetto, I cuss somebody out and I'm going to go ass popping and shit. Because, you know, the imagery behind that is ass popping, big ass, big titties. You know what I'm saying? Lots of natural, kicked up. Natural ass. Well, but see, natural titties. That's, that's great that it's for natural. a black woman. No, that's not always. Because if that was the case, Belle Calise would not have did it. I guess she's kind of not completely black. She's not. But Nicki Minaj would have did it if it was natural for black women. They went over the top with that shit. And now a classy, bougie, ratchet woman feels like she's classy and bougie and ratchet. So I can be ghetto. I can have, you know, I can just... But see, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother debate. That's a whole nother debate. Because ghetto to some people is different than what it is to other people than what it is to you and I. So everyone has their own perception of these words, you know, and what it means. So one, you know, I'm, you know, I know Kina likes to sing... Savage and talk about how she classy, bougie, ratchet. But Kina wear her natural hair. Kina she wears, wears her natural, natural nails. She's educated. You she's know, she's an educated woman. She has a great job. She has a but husband. Kina she understands. Has a baby. So it's not everybody. It's not everybody. It's not everybody. Kina understands what it's like to be uh, uh, breaking a cycle. If I don't know what her family dynamic is, but you know what I'm saying? She's breaking a cycle uh, of what society believes a black woman is. But yeah. some people take that and they run with it. They had a bottle of Hennessy in one hand, like you, and they be saying, I'm classy, bougie, ratchet. But, it's, bitch, you just go sit down because you're not, it's not cute. You got, never mind. <laughs> so I was going to step on some toes. Not intentionally, though. I'm be quiet now. Go ahead. Let me be so quiet. back to the movie, The Birth of It. And shout out to Kina. She's about to turn 30. She's all down. Ooh. So. Um, so back to the movie premiere of The Birth of a Nation in the D.W. Griffith film, the Ku Klux Klan tames the terrifying, savage African-American through lynching. Now, that's where the lynchings came lynching. from, right there. I'm sure it's not where it came from or it initiated, oh, but... 1915, and that we, lynching. And we talked about it because lynchings were happening before that, but that's what we talked about that too. The, grat- the, the very, very grotesque imagery of a, a female African-American pregnant woman, woman being lynched and then a... The baby being cut out of the, the stomach. One, the baby being cut out of her stomach and smashed under the boot of a white person mm-hmm. that cut, her, cut the baby out. That is fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And that's something that really happened. Yep. So following emancipation, the image of the threatening brute from the dark continent was revitalized. Acts of racial violence were justified and encouraged through the emphasis on this stereotype of the savage. The biggest thing here is that the message to whites back then with all this was that we must put 
blacks in their place so that they don't try nothing. We got to make sure we stomp them down good. That's fucked up. That's really fucked up. Um, And then, so, uh, the beliefs that African Americans were, like, mentally inferior and physically and culturally uninvolved, ape-like in appearance, you know, these are the things that this, the stereotypes that were being perpetuated from all this media. Um, And then, of course, they were, you know, supported by prominent white figures like Abraham Lincoln, who actually freed the slaves. Um, Andrew Johnson, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt publicly said, as a race and in the mass, the Negroes are altogether inferior to whites. The Encyclopedia Britannica, published in 1884, uh, that, that the African race occupied the lowest position of the evolutionary scale. Um, that's right there is fucked up. And my mom bought me a whole set of Encyclopedia Britannicas back in the day, and she should not have. She should not have, but she didn't know. She ain't know no better, but she should know. And then there was a a zoo, like there was like a zoo that had a black person on exhibit with a chimpanzee. Uh, they had another black man years later. Oh, they called him the Monkey Man, by the way. They had another years later cage with a female chimpanzee, and a female chimpanzee. She was trained to wash clothes and hang them on the line. That's fucked up. This is upsetting me. Isn't it fucked up? <laughs> I don't like hearing any of this. At and all. yeah, and we don't even have to go through all these statistics with the science studies, but they use science to try to to establish the proper place in society for African Americans. Um, the weight of the brain. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Negroes was 34 ounces. The gorilla was 20 ounces. The average European's brain was 45 ounces. You know what I'm saying? The short, flat, stub nose or thick, protruding lips. All these little things they use to classify us, you know, <laughs> and, you know, with all these anatomical differences. Um, Which makes absolutely no sense because just because my skin is different. You, got, you try to find out where I fit into in society. Are you going to figure that I should live in the zoo? So now you want to put all the Negroes in the zoo? Like, is that like what? It's nuts. It's completely and utterly nuts. This is the thought process of America. Child, they would have killed me right away. They would have had to kill me right away, <laughs> my too. smart mouth, they would have killed me. <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, you done lost your motherfucking mind. All of it. All of it. All of it. Should I probably would just kill my damn self, actually. Probably. <laughs> me, too. I would not have had a chosen bottom then. And we talked about a chosen bottom before. If you have not, go back and reference all episodes of Cornbread and Caviar, because I want you to listen uh, to them anyway. No. But then uh, there's this misconception, misconception that... Uh, African-American women had uh, a higher tolerance to pain. So they did crude-ass, you know, uh, experiments on them, cutting out their, their their clitoris and all kinds of crazy shit that just did to, you know, in the name of medicine and science. You know what I mean? That's fucked up. So anyway. Ridiculous. So speaking of women. Yes. Um, James was going to talk to us about the four stereotypes of the black women. And then after this, we're going to figure out which one he fits into. <laughs> We'll also find the one that you fit into as well. Don't worry. So, I'm a four savage. stereotypes for female African Americans. The mammy, which I'm sure we've all heard of these before. Aunt Jemima, Sapphire, and Jezebel. Oh, I thought you were about to say something. So the most enduring of these is the mammy. 
Um, although it originated in the South, it eventually permeated every region. As with the Sambo, the Mammy stereotype arose as a justification, a justification of slavery. So the Mammy, to give you guys a description, was a large black woman with shining white teeth, wearing a drab calico dress and a headscarf, and she lived to serve her master and mistress. Mistress. The Mammy understood the value of the white lifestyle, which ultimately led her to neglect her own family sometimes. So she treated the whites with respect, but was a tyrant in her own family. She dominated her children and husband, a.k.a. the Sambo, with her temper. The image of the Mammy as the controller of the African-American male was used as further evidence of his inferiority to whites. Now, who does this sound like to everybody? Now, it sounds to me like fucking Medea, the gun-toting grandma played by our, our gay sister, Tyler Perry. Yes. I'm sorry, he's not out, so... She is. Oh. Hmm. We, she don't have to say it, because we know it. Correct. <laughs> that sounds like Medea. The mammy sounds just like Medea. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So, I guess... And then the funny thing is, the large breasts and the voluptuous butts of the... African-American, large, pitch black woman with white teeth known as the mammy. She wasn't, she wasn't a threat to white society because she was looked at as unattractive. She's obese, matronly, masculine. You know what I mean? So, you know, although everything that she was was a complete antithesis to what European beauty was considered to be. Not a big voluptuous ass, a small ass. You know, not big breasts, but small breasts and not full lips, but small lips. At that time, mm-hmm. that's what beauty was. And somewhere along the lines, these asses started getting stuffed and lips started getting plumped with juices and stuff and breasts started getting, you know, done. So anyway. To look like the mammy. To look like the mammy, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Isn't that a queen? Wow. How the, the tables turn, right? Yes. And, and then you also know the movie Gone with the Wind. Um, yes. That was taken off of Netflix, I think, recently because the actress, um, I forgot her name, Hattie McDaniel, she played the mammy in Gone with the Wind. But um, a large number of people's attitudes about black women, they were shaped by this portrayal. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's, it's obviously, because according to what we researched, the f- sales for that movie, phenomenally ridiculous. They said the only... The only book, and I'm be talking about the book version right now, but the only book that outsold this was the Bible. Oh, that's the only book that outsold "Gone with the Wind." The book that that that's Dang. fucking ridiculous. Oh, y'all love that shit. So, oh my goodness, yes. But I mean, <laughs> shout out to Netflix for taking the right, making the right decision, and taking it down. I think that there needs to be some education because, with like we talked about all this marketing stuff, there needs to be some kind of education to go along with all these things so we can start changing that narrative. We need to start putting some different marketing out there. And they weren't the only um, streaming service to remove a movie or a show. Like, I know they were removing episodes of the Golden Girls from streaming services because of imagery that was portrayed. Um, That's the only one I can recall off the top of my head. I think I saw one this morning when I woke up, and it was Blanche on the Golden Girls with Don Cheadle, I think, back in the day. And she had up a a British flag or something. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Something or other. And then a lot of present day, of course, since, you know, Black Lives Matter 
became such a big deal to everyone. Um, well, almost everyone. You know, a lot of um, people, a lot of non-people of color that were playing roles of animated characters or even non-animated characters, um, they have stepped down from their positions because they want the brown people to actually fill their own roles. So, yes. Um, so next up, we have Aunt Jemima, and I'm sure all of you are aware of what Aunt Jemima is. It just made me hungry for pancakes. That would be delicious right now. Right? Ooh. Oh, yeah, it would. Mm-hmm. So the stereotype of Aunt Jemima evolved out of the Mammy image. She differs from Mammy because her duties um, are restricted to cooking, whereas the Mammy was basically the housekeeper taking care of um, the White's children. So it was through Aunt Jemima that the association of the African-American woman with domestic work, especially cooking, became fixed in the minds of society. And I think that still holds true to this day, even in brown communities. Look at uh, Soul Food. Yeah. Big Mama. What's her yeah. name? Was she the one, she, the one I was talking Remember we talked about us? She says... Uh, well, a hand is a, a open hand is just a bunch of fingers. But you call them fingers together. You got a strong, mighty fist. You could strike a mighty blow. She was cooking. That's how, you know, she cooked. She did all the cooking. She cooked all the greens with the fat back, all the pigs feet, all the chitlins, all the macaroni. She, she cooked. Yep. I mean, even to this day, people will say around holiday times, you know, oh, if she ain't, if her arm ain't thick and got a couple rolls on it, you know, if she can't cook. So even to this day, people want the larger black woman in the kitchen cooking and that's black men and black women alike you know you know when it comes to um cooking so um as a result hundreds of aunt jemima collectibles found their way into african american not just african american kitchens but american kitchens in general these black collectibles included grocery list holders salt and pepper shakers spoon holders stovetop sets flour scoops spatulas mixing bowls on and on and on um, and, of course, Aunt Jemima's most famous image is in the pancake advertisement campaign, which I believe, did they decide that they were going to change that this year? I think there are conversations about it, but I'm not 100% sure. Let me see if I can find anything yeah. about it on Google. Are you? Yes. So in St. Joseph, um, in 1989, Chris Rutt chose Aunt Jemima as the name for his self-rising pancake mix because it just naturally made him think of good cooking. And obviously, others agreed because the campaign was an instant success. To this day, it is a success. Rutt sold his company to Davis Milling Co., which chose Nancy Green as the Aunt Jemima product spokesperson. So I think that's who we see on there is Nancy Green. Yes. Um, The character developed a loyal following of both blacks and whites. To these people, Aunt Jemima had become reality. Her face still can be found on the pancake boxes today. Although her image has changed slightly, the stereotype lives on. Now, they did say, I found an article from June 17th that says the Aunt Jemima brand of syrup and pancake mix will get a new name and image. Quaker Oats announced Wednesday, back then, saying that the company recognizes that Aunt Jemima's origins are based on a racial stereotype. Although it's 130 years old, the brand features a black woman named Aunt Jemima who originally was dressed as a minstrel character. So, um, and this is Nancy Green, who... Uh, Aunt Jemima was named after. Let's see, let me see if I can find a picture of, of Nancy Green. Yeah, okay. Well, there she is. Mm-hmm. She's an American model, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. There's Nancy Green. Shout out to Nancy Green for making her money. If I didn't okay. pay her well, but nope. there it is. So, yeah. Now, what 
this Sapphire woman? What is she all about? Tell us about this Sapphire woman. You want to hear about Sapphire? Yeah, I want to hear all about right. the Sapphire woman. So Sapphire, which is also Ramon's stripper name, <laughs> or his OnlyFans handle, wow. was a stereotype solidified through the hit show Amos and Andy. Um, the profoundly popular series began on radio in 1926 and developed into, into a television series ending in the 1950s. It depicted Sapphire, a bossy, headstrong woman who was engaged in an ongoing verbal battle with her husband. She possessed the emotional makeup of Mammy and Aunt Jemima combined. Her fierce independence and cantankerous nature placed her in the role of the matriarch. She dominated her foolish husband by emasculating him with verbal put-downs. The stereotype was immensely humorous to white Americans. Now that's nuts. Her hand-on-the-hip, finger-pointing style helped carry the show through 4,000 episodes before it was terminated due to its negative racial content. So you mean to tell me white America was enthusiastically entertained by 4,000 episodes of... I guess if they don't know, they don't know. You don't know until you don't know. You don't know that you don't know, so you don't know. But I mean, I don't want to use that as an excuse either. But However, I'm sure that the actor and the actresses were brown people as well. Oh, absolutely. And they had, I don't want to say they didn't have a choice, but... What else was I going to do? What else were they going to do? I had to portray this. So they had to perpetrate the stereotype and help help bring it to what it is today for 4,000 episodes. Now, my curiosity is who decided it was negative racial content to take it off the air? That's a good question. Just back in that time, I don't think Because back in that time, who was it? The producers or the tele... You know, who... Because clearly for 4,000... That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of fucking episodes. That is a lot of episodes. A lot. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, last but not least, we have... The Jezebel. James <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I said James Brandon. I'm sorry. I am never last but not least. I'm always top two and not number two. Oh, Thank no, no, you. Oh, no, 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 no. You were the okay. Jezebel. Thank you. You were the Jezebel. No, sweetie. Now, let me ask you. Why are you holding it up to your face? Are you unable to see it when it's sitting down? Like, what's going on here? You have Because you're holding your laptop. Because I'm trying to not have poor posture, and I want to keep hunching over to read it. Good job. And I don't want to do that. So that's why I keep holding it up. Are your eyes going bad? Because you can't sit it down and have I straight posture still reading? I just had an eye test How did it about go? a month ago, sweetie. 2020 vision. Okay. So you How's can't, yours? You can't sit it down. How's yours? And the I, Prada <laughs> helps me see just fine. Thank you. Yeah. My Prada friends Prada help you. me see. Thank you. You're welcome. Jezebel. So the, you know what? I'll be a Jezebel. The haters <laughs> always, always have something negative to say. It's fine. The final female stereotype is Jezebel. The harlot. Oh, I guess my mom calls me that. <laughs> there you go. The image of the bad black girl rep- represented the undeniable sexual side of African-American women. The traditional Jezebel was a light-skinned, slender mulatto, shout out to mulatto, she's a rapper, girl with long, straight hair and small features. She more closely resembled the European ideal for beauty than any pre-existing images. Whereas Mammy, Aunt Jemima, and Sapphire were decidedly asexual images. The stereotype that was immensely attractive to white males. Now see, when I think about... Let me go back to Sapphire. Have you ever seen 
Good Times? No, but I've heard of it. So I think of Florida Evans as a, as a sapphire. Not attractive. She did, you know, she was she respected her husband. She respected James Evans, but, you know, she would sometimes get into her. I think that they broke the cycle a little bit with Good Times, but she was not portrayed. I'm sure she was an attractive woman in real life, but her character was not attractive on the show. And she, you know... I think they tried to break the cycle of how they portrayed African-Americans. And for sure, James got killed off the show um, because that actor played by, uh, is it, what's his name? He still, he still acts today, too. I mean, he still gets, you know what I'm saying, uh, what's his name? Actor that played, I know it was Amos or something, played James Evans. Let's see. The actor plays James Anderson something Amos. John Amos, there it is. John Amos. John Amos, who played, you know, James Evans, uh, I think he didn't want to go a certain direction with the character. And I think from what I understand, so anyway, the original point we talked about this was, I believe that, you know, there was a sapphire in Florida Evans, but I think they were trying to break that most. I don't think she was as much as a sapphire as you could say. But then also to talk about the different things that we're talking about now, James in Florida had a son named JJ. Mm-hmm. And JJ was... He JJ was literally the the Jim Crow. He was the you know the fun slap happy ignorant Negro that just was there for entertainment, saying stuff like dynamite. That's all he was. And the show writers wanted to, or the producers wanted to, kind of spin more to that, less about the issues that the black family existed. First of all, the fact that there was a mother and a father together in that time in a small apartment together with their three children that probably had two bedrooms maybe three um that was a big deal because that did depict properly the fact that there was not the best living conditions back in that day but also it depicted a mother and a father together which is something that you didn't see a lot of that was a real struggle of the black family back then and then how the neighborhood and neighbors would become part of the family and they'd watch over the kids it took a village and stuff and they wanted to focus more on the slap happy nature of JJ and his goofiness, and James Amos wasn't having it. John Amos, excuse me, John Amos wasn't having it. Um, so then he got killed off the show. I think it was in a car accident that he had on the show allegedly. But anyway, that was, yeah, that's that. All right. So the creation of the hypersexual seductress Jezebel, or I guess me, as Ramon would like to refer. Um, served to absolve white males' responsibility in the absolutely ridiculous sexual abuse and rape of African-American women, and they still claimed that black women were asking for it. So, first, let's just say apologies. James sounds like he's reading because he is. He doesn't know how to read. Like, I am an actor. I can deliver lines after briefly scanning a sentence and... I can just put it in my own words very quickly. So if it sounds boring, like a history lesson, I'm so sorry. It's James. We'll work on that with him. But at any other rate, um, that is where some of rape culture comes from when black women are raped because I look beautiful. Women in general. Women in general, yeah. Yeah, definitely women in general. But specifically in this case, black women, as we call them, brown women, because they would be a pretty girl. They might have a shoulderless shirt on or something, but oh, Look how beautiful your shoulders are. That must mean you want me to take your pussy and use it. Right. Or your asshole, whatever they wanted to fuck to me. Or a group of guys would get hold a girl down and do what they wanted to do to her and hurt her. That's horrible. 
It is horrible. So, and that still lives on to this day. People will uplift the the perpetrator, but not, you know, at the same time try to take away the rights of the person who can do and say and wear whatever they want. I don't have on bright red lipstick and a dress because I am one sexually active or two that does also it also does not mean that I'm ready and willing for you to take me at cool. your convenience. I just like this red lipstick in this dress. And people to this day, even like the whole R. Kelly thing, people will still uplift him and well look at the girls. Look at how they're acting. Look at what they're wearing. They were asking. Do you before. see do you see their short shorts and their crop tops and you know, their big butts and their boobs and they got them pushed up and they got their lips pooched out. Clearly that's what they want. And he uses celebrity and their desire to be famous and singers to, you know what I'm saying, to uh, take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And all the things that happened to him in his childhood obviously created the monster he became. So, mm-hmm. But yeah. you're right. Um, so these stereotypes still kind of go today with the Sambo, the Jim Crow, the Savage, the Mammy, the Aunt Jemima, you know, Sapphire, the Jezebel. All these things, could they, they're still kind of in existence today. Um, just not as prevalent, but it's also kind of hidden in what I would say the cracks and crevices of American society is still hidden there because we look at these people and uh, we can identify, in most cases, one of these designations to some of our African-American people, but not in, like, in, all, case, not in all cases at all. So, um, but I will say that the savage, that savage thing, that's, that's the predominant modern stereotype uh, of today, that we're violent, we're brutish, um, the African-American male, and they're dominant, they're lazy, you know what I mean? That's just, and the females as well, it's like a very jacked up way to look at us. Um, and you got to think about it. We are systemically oppressed because all these decisions are made by white America who does not, they, they don't understand who we are. They are the per- people in the legislature they are the people that are making the laws and the decisions, and they're making it from the brain of a person who has a, um, a stereotype, a stigma against us as African-American and brown people, etc. So that's a little jacked up. Um, so, yeah, it just... So kind of wrapping it up, I think that... Well, what do you think the... For you, James, like, what do you think the solution to this is? Because these stereotypes are really bad. We need some different marketing, that's for damn sure, and that's what Exponential Function is about in part. We need some different marketing for ourselves and for America at large. But if my ad campaigns, once I get there going, are a minority of the ad campaigns, but the ones you see out there are a minority, like, you know, if they're the majority race and they have this, they're putting out content that doesn't represent us well, my little ad campaigns aren't going to do anything. Um, but I like that, like for Cheerios put together, they put an interracial couple on there. There's people starting to put gay couples on there, lesbian couples and, and transgender. Grow a fit about it. They do. And I love it. I love, I think marketing is a big part of it. However, it's going to take a very long time that marketing would have to consistently change and everyone would have to change it because most people, I would say, shoot, even maybe eight years old and up have all witnessed the marketing that we talked about today. The Mammy, the Jezebel, 
they've all witnessed it in some way, shape, or form, whether it be watching a Medea movie or, you know, whatever, just turning on BET and watching any Tyler Perry movie, <laughs> I guess. But no, really, because um, we look at his play. Yeah. Watching his plays, any, you can probably find this character, one of the characters in the play, yeah. Yeah. So people, everyone that's alive under, they've, well, not everyone, but like I said, probably eight and up, they've witnessed it in some way, shape, or form, so they have it in their head. So it's really going to take, everyone to continue to work towards it to where the whole market is on the same page. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah. Cause still because there's people racial. are bigots. They know they're bigots. They don't care. And as long as they're alive and they're teaching their children and their children don't want to, which a lot of children don't Brown or white, you know, they believe what their parents teach them. And when they grow up, they don't choose to, find for themselves or um, decide if their parents were right or wrong. But why would I? If I know that this is right, look at Donald Trump. Right, exactly. If I'm right, this is what my parents taught me and it must be right. So why do I need to challenge my thought process? I don't know better. But when someone tells you, maybe it was worth having an analytical thought process and say, well, let me see if I am wrong or let me think about this. Yep. That doesn't happen. Yep. So as long as those people still exist, nothing is going to change, I don't believe. Because even if as a brown people as a whole, we were all to change, the only thing we would be doing is living up to what these stereotypes are not. We try to be living up to the white person, basically. That's true. That's what we do every day. We try to live up to the standard of what white America is. Exactly. And living up to that standard also means... Losing ourselves. Losing ourselves. It means to uh, depress ourselves. It means to ostracize ourselves. It means to be racist towards ourselves. Yeah. It means all that. So if we're living up to the standard, it means a lot of negative connotations for us as a people too. Yep. Right? So even with all these different things, education, like we're educating people right now, this is the podcast that will educate, inform, and entertain. And educating people about these different designations that were kind of brought through um that were brought through uh lineages and society and whatever and through the generations i guess if we can figure out how to educate people on it and then change their perception on it but it may be the next generation if we can start there with the children and maybe get the children to start listening a little bit so yeah, yeah. so it's about education educating about the damage that was done to us, the injury that was done to us. And again, I don't want us, to, and you'd say this as well, being pro-black does not mean that cornbread and caviar, myself, and I think I can speak for James on this because his mom is a white lady, does not mean that we are anti-white. We are anti-anybody who is not um, for the cause, who understands that Indian people were hurt, African-American people were hurt. And we only deal with African-Americans because that's what we are here for, but there is some injury there in the African-American community and understanding that white folks who can see that, understand it and respect it, that's a beautiful thing and we appreciate those people. We are not anti-white, but we are anti-foolishness. Right. So one equality. Yeah. Because brown people, of course, aren't the only ones that face anything either. Women. You know, overseas, you know, go overseas and women don't have rights and, you know, they can't drive and can't vote. and Their property. You know, they're like slaves. Right. They're traded for a mule and two apples. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like 
Oh, this pussy wasn't good enough for you, so you're going to trade me no. for two apples? Wow. This pussy talks English, Spanish, and French. It's worth euros, dollars, and yens. And all you want to trade me for is two a, a apples. Mule, two apples. Not even Honeycrisp. A Granny Smith? That is Damn. disrespectful. Damn. I don't like it. At wow. all. So, we trade you for the whole earth if we had to, because you're worth that much. That was a Who, compliment. Me? Yes, that was a compliment. <laughs> I was trying to say something nice. I don't know if it worked. I that appreciate way, but... that. Um, although you're not going to trade me for anything because I'm not going to be traded, but I appreciate it. You're it's welcome. The thought that counts. Exactly. So yes, have a discussion with people about these racial stereotypes and attitudes in a safe space, a safe place where they can express, where people can express themselves, black and white. Express yourselves. You know, uncover the prejudices and biases, reassess some of these things and understand that they might not be rooted in truth, but just rooted in, you know, uh, generational cycles. And, you know, it just is what it is. But we can figure out how to break it down. They're ignorant. They're out of habit. They're out of fear. But understanding who we are and helping us get to a better place will reduce a lot of crime, will reduce... You know, a lot of hatred and tension, blah, 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 on and on and on. We know how this whole thing works. So if you have something that you want to say about this topic, we'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up at eatcornbreadandcaviar at gmail.com and follow our Instagram handle at eatcornbreadandcaviar. Now it is time for the positive vibe. Mm -hmm. So when considering what you are, what what, what your outward experience is and your, your outward appearance is, excuse me, the outward appearance that drives social cues, It drives stereotypes or whatever it is. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about here, it is important to understand that you don't have to be what the world thinks you are. All the stereotypes we've discussed today all land in part to the current condition of African-American, the African-American experience in the U.S. And media, people, majority and minority race folks, everything shapes our reality about what society thinks about us. But we have to be stronger and break through the mold We've been given to, I'm sorry, I said that completely wrong. Now, I was reading my own words, and I fucked up after talking about James earlier. So here we go again. We have to be stronger and break through the mold we've been given to realize the potential and promise in the gift we were afforded by simply being born. We were born people with gifts mm-hmm. and callings, as they say in the church, gifts and callings. And uh, we need to figure out how to move all the shit out the way so that we can get back to what we're supposed to be doing, our purpose, our purpose-driven life, et cetera. So, yes, um, please break through the mold we've been given to realize the promise and the potential and the gifts we were born with. That is our positive vibe for the day. Closing comments from you, James? That was basically going to be my closing comment. It really was. I was going to say yes, yes. Once. Not for once. We're on the same wavelength a lot of times when you listen. (laughs) Now, so yes, that was basically going to be my closing comment. Don't let others' thoughts about you dictate how you live your life and how you spend your time. Because you, if you, people are going to think whatever they want to think, no matter what you do. So you can go out into the world as a brown person and get a degree and wear your suit and speak well instead of talk good (laughs) And you are still going to be looked at by somebody as just a nigger. N-I-G-G-A. Oh, E-R, sorry. Yeah. You did the E-R. You did the yeah. Tupac version of N-I-G-G-A. Yeah. So it just, just duck off a of water's back or whatever the old people say. Um, what, what is, what's the saying? I have no idea. 
Oh, you're an old person, so I thought you. Would I don't know. know why you would say this. Um. What, whatever the old people say, then ask me what the old people say as if I'm an old person. I really don't appreciate that. Well, I, I unfriend you. You can't unfriend me twice. <laughs> Only once. So yeah, I those are my home. closing comments. Thank you for your closing yes. comments. What about yours? Well, my positive vibe is pretty much what I had to say. I'm good with it. That was, I think that speaks for itself. I really felt passionate about this conversation today because these stereotypes are very serious. And you know what I'm saying? This is more of an educational um, conversation. As all of our podcasts have some educational content, but listen to it anyway. We need the numbers. We like the numbers. And there's something that you can learn in everything. So with that being said, it is me, King Ramon, and James Brandon, We thank you for listening today. We had lots of fun with this educational topic. And I hope, we hope you did too. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, comment, and share. It literally costs you nothing but a few seconds of your time. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. We're out here, so help us out and share us out. And if you want to connect with us, follow us on Instagram. Our handle is eatcornbreadandcaviar. Or hit us up at eatcornbreadandcaviar at gmail.com. We are out. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.